to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and as part of our Science and Healthy Living series, today's guest is Dr. Paul Karpecki, and we're discussing healthy vision for all, but focused on those of us over 60. Did you know that nearly 65% of U.S. adults complain of headaches, neck, shoulder pain, and eye strain when using digital devices, reading, or doing digital work? Digital vision syndrome is here, and it's a thing, and it's affecting thousands of us. We are at an unprecedented and critical point when it comes to the impacts of increased screen time. As our lifestyle and the condition from the pandemic shifts more of us to be at home, it puts increased pressure on near vision demands, and optometrists are reporting that record numbers of patients are seeking a solution to digital vision eye strain. In a recent study of over 110,000 patients, nearly two-thirds experienced painful symptoms often associated with eye misalignment. More than 55% of them experienced these symptoms on a daily basis. Optometrists across the nation are seeing an uptick of vision issues related to digital vision syndrome, including eye strain, which can lead to headaches, pain around the eyes, pain behind the eyes, as well as the neck pain that exists and other related problems. Our guest today is Dr. Paul Karpecki, and we will be talking about just this subject, digital vision eye strain and digital vision syndrome. Dr. Paul Karpecki has over 20 years of experience running some of the largest eye clinics in the United States. Dr. Paul Karpecki is a noted educator and author of over a thousand papers on the subject of eye disease. Dr. Karpecki currently serves as the chief clinical editor for Review of Optometry, the most read journal in the profession. Please join me in welcoming to the Donald Better Show via internet phone, Dr. Paul Karpecki. Dr. Paul Karpecki, welcome to the program. Thank you. Honored to be here. Well, thank you. It is absolutely an honor to talk to you. We're going to talk about eyesight and vision today and uh, important subject to, to all of us, especially in my audience as we, as we kind of age and, and uh, maybe our eyesight gets a little bit uh, uh, less, not, not quite as strong, maybe, maybe even weaker as we get a little bit older. It has this tremendous impact. It certainly has an impact on me. I wear contacts. I've done that for, for years and years and years. And I know my vision it it impacts the way I feel. So there's kind of a psychological aspect to this question and a physical one too. And I wonder if you'd if you'd tell us a little bit about the strain that uh, eyesight health puts on uh, the kind of the mind and body and uh, any related conditions that that come from eyesight health. Yeah, I'm glad you asked it that way. A lot of people just kind of focus on the eyes and and don't realize the psychological effects and physical health effects. And those are probably even more dramatic when it comes to eye strain, because if you now, there are various levels of eye strain. Certainly, you know, because of what we've gone through with COVID, a lot more people are, are tuning in and viewing things on digital devices and spending more time on it. So we're really getting a real test of the of the eye system in terms of alignment. So our eyes are, are meant to be very closely aligned in terms of where they're focusing. And as you lo- look at something near, whether it's reading or whether it's a digital device, your eyes should naturally turn in. And there's a portion where they don't quite turn in enough. Now, we don't believe that really changes a lot with age, which is fortunate. But 
it may get more of manifested in the sense that the the muscles aren't as quick to change to that point and then and they're able to pick up on that and that's a little part of eye strain or perhaps the bigger part of it but there are other levels for example a lot of blue light coming from digital devices can cause some strain on the eyes but anytime there's a misalignment that means the eyes look perfect but they're they're just not coming in enough and you can measure for that that puts extra strain as the two as the eyes try to figure out where they're looking and trying to tell the brain that and that could add up to a, a lot of psychological components because people feel they can't function as well they're getting frustrated by that they're not able to do the things they love doing but also physical health people with eye strain tend to complain a lot about headaches next neck stiffness is one that comes up commonly and then even dryness of their eyes even though their eyes aren't truly dry in of itself now a third cause of strain could be dry eyes too but when it's strain related to the eye misalignment, they feel dry, but that's not mm. true dry eye. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. You used a term. You said the eyes turning in. Maybe tell us about that. Is that would I would the the term um, you know kind of cross eyed be applied to that? Is that what you're referring to when they turn the eyes turn in? No, this is more. It's a great question. This is more the natural turning in. Uh, kind of mm -hmm. you wouldn't see it by looking at someone. Everything looks perfectly aligned. In fact, if you have eyes that are crossed or one eye that's out that's called strabismus and in those mm -hmm, cases mm -hmm. you really are relying on just one eye and when you rely on one eye you actually don't get a lot of strain i mean the, the one eye certainly has to do more work so technically there is some strain but you don't get strain of what we call fusion the two eyes trying to work together so that they're focusing on a point that the brain thinks they're looking at that you actually have to have eyes that look perfectly aligned and there's it's called convergence meaning the eyes just naturally turn in just slightly very very little not even enough that you could see it typically by looking at another person, but you could measure it. And there should be a little bit of that natural turn in. If the eyes don't turn in enough, then they're kind of fighting back and forth to try and find that place. And that's what leads to significant eye strain. Mm -hmm. And you use the term misalignment. So that's that's just this, just kind of the, the, the eyes perfectly lined up, um, meeting um, the vision or meeting the object that they're trying to uh, read or, or see in exactly the same uh, on, on kind of a level basis? Is that kind of what that refers to, misalignment? That's it. That's a lot of exactly what it is, meaning you could have one eye that's just a little above or below the other, a little not turning in enough. But there's also one other component. You know, our our brain is what sees, as you know, Paul, not our, not our eyes. Actually, the brain interprets it. And so when you're looking out of each eye at a certain place, the brain believes that's where your eyes are. That's where the object is. If for some reason, you know, they aren't perfectly aligned, sometimes this can happen from a concussion or traumatic brain injury or an injury in general. Sometimes it's just how our, we were born to a degree to have it. It just becomes more of a problem as we get older uh, because it becomes more difficult for the muscles to move and compensate for that. And it's that kind of thing, almost a proprioceptive disparity, meaning, <clears throat> you know, like if you were to take your two fingers and go towards the center so that they touch with your eyes closed. That's proprioception. Your body kind of knows where they're at. Well, it also uses your extraocular muscles, the muscles around the eye to move into that place. And if it thinks it's somewhere that it's not, it's constantly searching and that puts on a lot of strain. That's the, the most common form of misalignment that's present. And it's the work between the eyes and the brain. The eyes have a couple movements. One is called a saccade, which is kind of a, a kind of a faster, you know, kind of movement. And then the there and then there's a shorter kind of burst kind of movement as well. 
And between those two, that's how we figure out what we're looking at in which direction. So you imagine with a slight misalignment, it becomes hard for the brain to determine where that is. For a while, it could compensate for it. Then after time, it doesn't. So it sounds a little more complex. I wish there was a simpler way to kind of define it, but it is a little bit of proprioception. That is where our brain believes our hands are or where our eyes are mm-hmm. or anything that's a moving part. Well, you, you talk a little bit about this, and, and in my research of you, I've, I've found that there's, there's a great deal of reference to the amount of time that we're spending on digital screens these days, and, and we certainly are, all of us, and um, irrespective of age, I think. Do people experience the same degree of eyesight issues with just hard copy printed materials as they do with digital screens? What, what is it about digital screens that presents these kind of these eyesight issues? It's a very it's a terrific question because we used to we do know there are parts that are similar. For example, we're supposed to blink about 14 times a minute uh, in general. We we're in, in a conversation like we are right now. We're probably blinking somewhere between 12 and 17 times over the course of that minute. When you have when you start looking up close, whether it's reading a book or a digital device, your blink rate drops pretty similarly between the two. So if it's related to the eyes drying or when we blink, we pump our oils out, and the oils are really important to the top layer of our tear film. So if we're not blinking a lot, we can get a drying effect. So that portion can be affected by both. But when you get to digital devices, something about the pixels or something about the way our brain chooses to focus really creates more of a stare mechanism where you don't get the blink, but you also have the risk of blue light reflecting back, which can cause – it hasn't been proven to cause necessarily damage to the back of the eye, but it certainly can over years. But it will affect our sleep patterns, which can then lead to more strain, which can then lead to more issues going on, even some of the psychological health and physical health issues from not sleeping well. So that extra added component causes us to fixate a little more often. So maybe our blink rate isn't, is even slower or less frequent than reading a book, but reading a book does decrease it too. But the light source that coming out, especially those high visible energy spectrums, which are purple and blue that come off of screens, make the body feel like it's the morning again. And that adds to a further level of of strain and changes in circadian rhythms, which is our sleep patterns. I think that adds to the problems more so than just reading a book. So uh, increasing the text size, for example, or decreasing the glare on the device, none of that's really going to help. This is all about the light, the blue light that's being admitted. There is no, there's a, a combination. I, I'm glad you know mm-hmm. so much going into this interview. I was impressed with people who can know that much about so many things. But the it's really related a little bit to the glare too, <clears throat> meaning if you had mm-hmm. a glare source over time, it's going to fatigue the system a little bit more. So I couldn't say it's not that. But sometimes that high visible energy is, is more of a factor with, as we said, sleep patterns, more of a factor with uh, focusing. Uh, but glare can cause strain. So turning that down at times can help high visible energy colors. You're, and you can't filter. You, I guess you can filter these out. There are some computers that have little filters on them. There's stuff mm. like iSafe and other things that are coatings you can put on top. And they, there's many that exist. So you can filter out some of those higher visible energy, but scatter of light too and glare can also cause fatigue on the system and lead to more problems. So the blue filter glasses or the blue filters that we can put onto the screens themselves, they will help some? They can help some. Sometimes it's it's even higher than just like a blue blocker. It's more 
it has a tone or a to it that's kind of in the more violet blocking, but they do help some. So blue, they're called blue blocking lenses, but they're really more high visible energy blocking. They will help some. They'll help your body recognize it's the right time of day a little bit better. So as covers on screens we talked about that are there will also help that. So there's a number of ways you can achieve the decrease um, in that uh, so for sure. Now, does that add to a little bit more of the of the strain that takes place? Some people believe it does because it's an added element you have to take care of. But I think the only proven things that we've seen with that energy are what you talked about earlier, those circadian or sleep patterns that could be affected if you were to watch or look at your computer or your phone late at night for long periods of time. Your body might assume it's it's sooner. So, yeah, those glasses would help that as would the you know protective coverings or screen covers are clear, but they protect it. And even some of the phones have a – you can switch to a night mode. That would actually help as well. So mm-hmm. from that standpoint, there is benefit. We are with Dr. Paul Karpecki. Dr. Paul Karpecki is the chief clinical editor for review of optometry, which is the most read journal in the optometry profession. Dr. Karpecki is also the author of over 1,000 papers on the subject of dry eye disease. Dr. Kopecki, all of this really is kind of lumped together under this uh, kind of banner of digital computer vision syndrome. Am I am I using that term correctly? You are. It you know it okay. used to be called computer vision syndrome, but then you know things changed. iPads came along, smartphones. You know now it's just called digital vision syndrome. But the origination of it was actually yes, computer vision syndrome. So what are the tests that we can? If you were to, you know, someone to just come in off of the street, what would you say, here's what we need to test you for in order to determine whether or not you've got this digital computer vision syndrome uh, problems and issues? Yeah, so there's a couple things we need to test for when we're looking at these eyes. Uh, you know, we certainly need to test for dry eye, which can cause strain, um, which is a little different cause. That's where, you know, the optometrist or ophthalmologist would would look at your eyes and they would, you know, check to see what your breakup time of your tears is. Perhaps they'll express the oil glands to see that it's coming out properly. They could do a good dry eye assessment with some dyes, some questionnaires, and even some high-tech devices now like osmolarity, but that's the dry eye. If they're looking really at digital vision syndrome, most of that is related to eye alignment, and the way to test for that is essentially when they go in, when you go in for a regular eye exam and the eye doctor is, is trying to figure out your best prescription, they can actually move the lenses, you know, and look for where your eyes align as one potential test. So and, – and they're trying to make sure that they're in what's called the ortho position, which is exactly where it should be. And then as you look close, they measure that too to see that it goes to the right extent. So one way is they take a little paddle and they move it across your eyes and look to see – if eyes are moving, or they might ask you, can you tell if this image moves side to side or up and down? And that helps to know that there's a slight misalignment. Again, these are eyes that look perfectly straight. You wouldn't know it until you did the measurement. They could do it on the foropter, which is the big machine that checks for a prescription. And now there's even a higher technology known as a neural lens. And this is a little device, where a little dome that you put your chin in, you look at targets, and it neutralizes your gaze in a very good way, meaning it measures much more precisely than the way we used to measure it on the voropter by looking at these kind of peripheral planets that isolates each eye and then works together. It takes about a minute to a minute and a half, and it tells you exactly the numbers of, of misalignment and the prescription and 
which direction and what power of it. And then off of that, you could prescribe a slight little, it's called prism. It's a small amount of shift. Sometimes we'll use a neural lens, which is a more of a contoured prism that gives you a little bit more power in the reading part, less at the top. It's not really just an ad. This isn't just for reading up close. This is actually for moving your eyes where they need to be. And I've been fascinated by it. I've seen patients who've had migraines their entire life, two or three a week, completely disappear. Uh, neck stiffness is gone. Their eyes feel relaxed and functioning. They can now go back to computers and reading and, and for long periods of time, which they hadn't been able to do for years. So some of these better measurements um, now help us also deliver better technologies to treat it. So the neural lens equipment, is that available, readily available now in most optometric offices? I wouldn't say most yet. I would say there's there's probably, you know, there's 40,000 optometrists roughly. And, and of course, many are in different settings. But um, as a whole, there, um, I would say that maybe there's a thousand of these. So there's still got a ways to go as it's fairly new technology. Um, I think I've had mine only about two or three years, but it, it's changed uh, a lot. I've had family members who used to have migraines uh, often and would go into, you know, a dark room, which is desensitizing the, the trigeminal nerve. That's the big nerve that actually works our face the most, including our eyes, our, our jaw, you know, even our, our forehead and temporal area there. And so it, what you're doing when you go into a dark room and shut off the lights and all the sound to help get rid of a migraine is you're actually allowing the trigeminal nerve to relax and, and start up again. So if you can – and the reason why I think it, it has so much stress on it is when the eyes are slightly misaligned, they overwork and they overstimulate that trigeminal nerve. So by correcting that with just regular glasses, you don't have to do anything different. They're not special. They're not thicker. There's nothing like that. You're just putting in a small amount of a prism to go with your prescription. You will see in one study as many as 84% of people had a significant reduction in headaches to where they were basically gone. And so it's uh, my I've had family members, as I've said. My, my mother-in-law told me she didn't mind me mentioning it. She used to get you know, three or four of these a month, and she, I was talking to her a few weekends ago. She said she's had one in the last year. So they, they can really uh, change people's lives, but that's the extreme example of eye strain when you get to that level. All of us need to be sensitive to this subject and, and aware. You're talking about light, and we're talking about digital computer vision syndrome. But should we be extra careful in wearing sunglasses outdoors too these days, especially as we're starting to get into the summer months when the sun is most most bright? That's a very good point. You know, I mentioned earlier that with a high visible light, like your blue blocking lenses and that, there's obviously some benefits to sleep patterns and other things, but we've never been able yet to prove it can damage the back of the eye. We believe it, it may well over time uh, just because it is such a high visible energy level, but it would take many, many years, if not decades. And there's no studies that could last that long, but there are studies on primates, which would be, you know, animals, monkeys, other past studies that look at UV light that have shown that there is damage to the retina. And of course, the retina is your focusing point, specifically the macula, which is where we look for near vision. You probably heard the term macular degeneration, where it starts to break down there. Well, it's been proven that in that case with UV light, that you will damage the macula over time. So the idea of sunglasses, which protects the UVA and UVB, both forms need to be protected against, uh, will definitely help 
uh, preserve that macula over time. So yes, as we get in these summer months, that's a terrific recommendation. And that part has been studied, unlike high visible energy light, which affects our sleep patterns. I don't think we really have any sound studies to show it would affect the macula. Probably does over many decades, but UV light definitely does. So that's a good recommendation to wear sunglasses in the sunny days. You know, we are spending more time with these screens, and there are just more and more screens available to us. You know, we've got wearable technology. You know, it's now appearing, uh, you know, on our wrists, and there are new eyeglasses that literally have mounted displays in them. I just think this all presents potential danger. Would you would you agree with that, that these, these, these additional screens are just there for um, – perhaps a good use, but we need to be careful with them too. Oh, you do. We're absolutely right. I've heard, you know, statistics that say during the COVID shutdown time, which of course was an extreme example, but the average, you know, time on on digital devices was well over 13 hours a day. So, you know, it's hard to imagine our bodies aren't used to that level of exposure, of focusing, of not blinking like we normally do. And those are not it, it's subconscious, you know. When we focus on something, we're 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 just our eyes are known and our brain works by focusing and not blinking. So it's, you'd have to consciously remember to, and that's not something we naturally do. So everything, um, you know, from dry eye to the blue, high visible energy blue light to the staring effects to even the eyelids when you blink, clean the, the blepharitis, which is cleaning any sort of bacteria or other microorganisms off your lashes. You. If you don't blink enough, that doesn't happen. So you start to get little infections of the lashes more often. So a lot of things can be affected, um, even as we talked about leading to headaches and, and neck stiffness and sleep pattern problems, all from these multiple digital devices. So you're absolutely correct. There's you know everything in moderation. Right, absolutely. Well, what about children and the elderly? Between the two, is one more vulnerable than the other, as we age, our eyes certainly do become more weak, but maybe children are spending more time on these digital screens, these digital devices. Well, that's a really big factor we have to look at. And part of the reason um, that's such an important question is because it's not known. And what I mean by that is we, we know that, you know, what's over a long period of time, because we, you know, I didn't have digital devices like this when I was young and at that age. And after we get into our 20s, which is still very young, you know, we start to get a little bit of, of a, almost a little blue filter in our lens. Now, of course, that becomes much more pronounced when we're in our 50s and 60s, but that blocks a lot of that uh, damaging uh, wavelengths that get into the eye from digital devices just naturally, uh, you know, and that then eventually becomes a cataract, uh, you know, later on in your 60s or 70s. But it at the beginning, it actually starts to cause some effects. And you can actually see it if you look real closely. Even in some 20-year-olds, it's not uncommon to have a little bit of change in the lens, but that's protective. Well, you don't have that when you're 12 or 9 or 7 or 4. So what we can only imagine how much of that visible, high-energy visible light is actually getting through to the retina. And although we're not seeing a lot of effects of it at this age, it's cumulative, meaning it's going to build up over decades And perhaps, yeah, we may see an increase in macular degeneration or other conditions in the retina 
that people might start experiencing in their 50s or 60s instead of their 70s or 80s. And again, it's conjecture, but at the same time, we kind of understand the physiology of the lens later on and how it protects against UV light to some extent. Still got to wear your sunglasses, but it does protect some. As we, we get older, we do not have any of that protection in place when we're really young. And I know even when I'm watching my children for years on, on digital devices, I, they don't blink. I have to look over and say, you need to blink your eyes if you're going to be on that. I try to limit the time they're on it for that reason too. So their um, stare reflex is probably even greater than adults too. So there's longer time periods where their eyes are open, which can lead to issues again later on in life. These are unknowns if it'll happen, but – Still, it, it worries me a little bit for the fact that we are, some children spend so much time on digital devices to where they're almost a bit of a babysitter mm-hmm. for them. And, and I think at those levels, I would I start to get concerned of what that might mean in 50 mm-hmm. or 60 years. Dr. Paul Karpecki, we really appreciate your time. I just have one final question for you. Maybe just give us a sense as to the innovation that's going on in optometry. Perhaps what's what's coming that we we should be aware of in terms of eyesight and uh, being being more aware of some of these conditions. Well, that's this is one area that innovation has really taken off, which is exciting. I mean, one we talked about was very exciting is the neural lens technology, the ability to have a machine that can measure subtle amounts of of eye misalignment. They used to take us, you know. 10 minutes to figure out using our, or at least for me, to using the machines that we used to have, which are four opters and others, and then having contoured prism built in, which is neural lenses that can be in there. There's also, you know, new innovations in terms of uh, accumulating more with supplements that will accumulate more pigment in the back of the eye, which may help for things like macular degeneration or even contrast, the ability to see things more clear. And certain areas of their continued advance, there's earlier ways of picking up on macular degeneration. It could be three or more years sooner, so you could start treating uh, for those. There's also even starting to look at the retina for early signs of, of, of things like Alzheimer's that could be present as signals. Once we start to get treatments, we could use you know sooner for that. But it really goes all the way even into dry eye. There's you know new ways of measuring for dry eye that are much more sensitive than anything we've done in the past, better treatments, better understanding of how everything works, treatments for the oil glands that get congested when we're on digital devices or have digital vision syndrome, that dry eye component where the oils get congested. We have in-office treatments now ranging from low-level light therapy and IPL to thermal expression to uh, bluff exfoliation, which is like going to the dentist and getting a deep cleaning to clear off the stuff from the lashes. All of these are innovations that surround what we've talked about uh, today, either from the diagnostic standpoint or from the treatment. So things that we really didn't treat well in the past or didn't have the capacity to due to testing or other factors, we can now we can now manage extremely well. Dr. Paul Karpecki has been our guest. Dr. Karpecki is the Chief Clinical Editor for Review of Optometry. Dr. Karpecki, thanks so much for your time. This is such an important subject. We'd, we'd love to have you back at some point and talk about this further. I know that this is something that we're just going to have to pay attention to and watch closely and learn from you and the various studies that you're involved in, but thank you so much for your generous time today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Your questions were excellent. Your research was terrific. You knew a lot about the subject. It's always enjoyable when you have to have when you get a chance to have conversations like that, and certainly I'd be honored to participate anytime I can help. My thanks to Dr. Paul Karpecki. Hopefully today's show will help you understand and consider the effects of digital vision syndrome. Remember to check out our website for more details about Dr. Paul Karpecki and digital visual syndrome. 
My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe and remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Until next time, thanks everybody. And please remember to check out our new show on KSCW Radio 103.0 FM, Phoenix, Arizona, every Saturday morning at 8.15 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And again, you can find links to listen to the show on KSCW on our website. Thanks again. 